All right, welcome to game day. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for all those who uh, were here last week when Pastor announced that TakeOver was going to be this week, and you still came anyway. Appreciate you being here. This is game day, and uh, if you haven't seen it already, uh, you'll see uh, a bunch of people wearing shirts around here, or you maybe have for the last year or so, and they say good life on them. And so today we're talking about the good life game day. And when you think about your life, and when I think about my life, uh, every moment of our life, uh, we can often trace it back to one decision at a time, one circumstance at a time, one thing that happens every day that has led us to this moment today. I think about our uh, Xenia High School football team that this week, uh, Friday or last Friday night, uh, they actually went to a playoff game for the very first time. That's a big deal. That's pretty cool, right? Right? So we're excited uh, that they were able to accomplish that. It's a really, really great thing. But no doubt there was a locker room conversation that went something like, some of you have started back all the way as a freshman and you came and you went to two-a-days in the summer and you came to every practice and you put your blood, sweat, and tears into this and you played hard this season and you've played in the cold and you played in the rain and, you know, all that kind of thing. And then it's all leading up to this moment right now. It's right here. It is game day. It is time, right? And so you can imagine that kind of a scene in the locker room that happens. And what I want to propose to you is that every moment of your life, every pain, every circumstance, every trial, everything that has come against you has went your way, has went not your way. All of these things in our lives have brought us to this day right now. And so today is game day. And not only today, but as we live today, today will lead us into tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And as soon as this day is over, we then step into tomorrow making this day history, making this day just a memory. And so our life is so important that we cannot waste it. We can't just throw it aside. We, we have too much at stake to do anything less than make the most of it. And so for many of us in here, we can acknowledge and we can see the importance of today as game day, game day because everything that has brought us to this moment is landed us where we are now. And what we do in this moment on this day will lead us into our future as well. And so game day is actually every day. And if every day is game day, then we want to live the good life every day. If every day is game day, then we want to live the good life every day. And we want to live the good life because we want to win. The definition of win is to be successful or victorious in life. It's to be successful or victorious. And I hope that we can know and understand and get a hold of the idea that it is possible to be successful and it is possible to be victorious through Christ. It is possible not to be victim to everything in our lives and not to become victims to everything that happens to us and every circumstance that doesn't go our way and every time something happens that we didn't see coming that, that we thought we would never be able to make it through, we can because through Christ we can handle all things. Through Christ we are given strength when He shows up perfect in our weakness. And so we can truly live the good life so that we can win. Today is game day. 
And every day is game day. We want to pursue this good life so that we can win. And the good life means that we love and we pursue what is good so that we can live a life that is good. We love and we pursue everything that is truly good, everything that God has planned, everything that he has designed for us. We love it. We chase after it. We pursue it because we want to pursue the good life. We want to pursue the good things that God has in store for us, the good ways that he has laid out before us to walk in so that we can experience the good life. This morning, uh, we're going to be talking about what the good life is, but as we uh, talk about this on game day, we're going to split the message into four quarters. And so four quarters will represent the four uh, areas, the four key areas of life that we have within the good life idea that you guys have seen around here on sweatshirts and hoodies, but didn't really know what it was, right? And so when we talk about the four quarters and we talk about the good life, what we're saying is that everything that is good is from God. In fact, James says that every good and perfect gift is from God. When God first created, he got to the end of creation and he created everything that was good. And he said, it is good. He himself proclaimed that what he set into motion, the way and the system that he set into place that he established he was able to look and say, this is good. Everything is as I intended it to be. This is good. And so we read here in Psalms 145 where it talks about the goodness of God. It says, the Lord is full of loving favor and pity, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is what? Good. All right, I'll try that one more time. The Lord is what? Good. He is good to all. We continue. The Lord holds up all who fall. He raises up all who are brought down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food. He is the one who gives us what we need to sustain us. He gives it at just the right time. You open your hand and you feel the desire of every living thing. He is the fulfillment. He is the completion. He is everything that we need. The Lord is right and what? Good in all his ways and kind in all his work. Psalms 84 says it like this, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. And so as we look at this game day idea, we move into the first quarter of the good life. It's the first quarter strategy that we're in, and we're talking about freedom. And freedom means that choices determine outcomes. We have the freedom to make decisions. We have the freedom to make choices and to decide. And choices determine outcomes because freedom is the pathway to how we think, believe, and act. And I just want to take a step over here and make a little side note here. Um, I just want to recognize, because tomorrow is Veterans Day, that we experience the freedoms that we experience in this country, and we experience our ability to be able to be in a room like this and publicly profess Jesus Christ without fear of uh, ridicule and persecution and being arrested or being put to death for it. And so I just want to thank, and if you would thank with me, all the veterans that are in the room this morning. There is a God-given freedom that he has given us where we are able to be free from sin. We are able to be free from bondage. 
but we know that the way that we worship in America and the way that we can come into a room like this, that type of freedom was given to us because of the sacrifice of so many and so many that are in this room. So we want to thank you that we get to be here and have a service like this because of your dedication to our country. Thank you very much. We honor you today for that. Stepping back to the message now. Freedom. It means that it's the pathway to how we think, believe, and act. We make that, determina- that determination. We get to be the ones who choose what we think, what we believe, and then how we will act. No one else has the power over us to do that. No one else gets ownership over my decisions. No one else gets ownership over my emotions. No one else can make me angry. No one else can make me fill in the blank, right? I alone am responsible for the decisions and taking ownership of my own life. And that's what we say is freedom. Now within this four quarter game structure that we have, we have freedom, friends, focus, and future. Freedom, friends, focus, and future. And within the context of freedom, we have a strategy to win this game. And we have three commitments that we're going to make in every category. And just to put this out there, this is completely the opposite of the way that I was taught by Pastor Mark in our ministry classes to do to. Uh, uh, come develop a sermon, okay? You're supposed to just have like one big idea and you just keep driving home that one big idea the whole time, okay? I have four separate sermons in one, so we're going to be here all day, okay? <laughs> but we're looking at freedom, and so if you, if you want to get your notes out, you notice we turned the lights up from where it was for the music. That's so you can take lots of notes. We're going to have tons of stuff on the screen, but I have two purposes today. One is that I hope that we leave here in this room challenged and pushed toward living the good life because it's not just a thing for teenagers. It's not just a thing for high schoolers. It's something for all of us. And so I hope that we can all leave here personally and individually inspired to live the good life and that God will communicate to us in one or more of these areas as we look at the four quarters of this game and he will push us and lead us and guide us into the next step that he has for us. That's number one. Number two, I want you to know what we're teaching students not just here in Xenia, but also around the Miami Valley in a lot of different ways. The good life is kind of spreading out to other communities now. But in our church, in our, in our context, in our student ministry, um, these are the kinds of things that we teach. Uh, I go and I teach in public schools as well, and we teach a lot of these same principles too. And so we're, we're pushing these things out there because we believe that the good life is possible. And we hope that even in the context of a public school setting where I have to just tiptoe up to the edge before I can share a scripture, right, or introduce something like that, I hope that we're able to lead students up to that point where they say, I want whatever he's talking about and I know I can't get there on my own. And when that happens, we're there as an open door to have that conversation about Christ because he is the only way to truly, truly live the good life. So when we look at freedom, our first commitment that we're going to make is this. We make decisions today that we're still glad we made tomorrow. We make decisions today that we're still glad we made tomorrow. Anybody watch YouTube in the last week? Okay. Anybody in the last two weeks? Okay. All right. Most, most likely you were watching a video, uh, especially if it was a funny video. Chances are that that started out with a couple of buddies hanging out and thought, this is a good idea. And they found out this wasn't even a good idea at all, but we're going to put it on YouTube for everybody to see, right? Or maybe a dating relationship in your past that went wrong and it may have started out something like this. Man, she looks good. 
and you realize this is not good at all. It was a terrible relationship. It didn't work out at all. Or you, you rolled up to the uh, car lot and you looked at the car and you're like, man, that is a good looking car. And so you look at that vehicle and you buy that vehicle, but then the payment comes the next month and you're like, this is not good at all. I thought it was good, but it's not really. So we want to make decisions today that we're actually glad we made tomorrow, okay? We want to still be glad that we made that decision as we step into our future tomorrow. So that's commitment number one. Commitment number two is this. We do what we do, not what we have to do or ought to do. We do what we do, meaning I own my decisions, I own my story, I own my choices, I don't show up to church because I have to go to church because if I don't go to church, then I'm not going to be a good person. And I have to go to church because my mom and dad made me. I have to go to church because so-and-so is going to wonder where I've been. Or I have to go to work. I have to show up to work. I have to get my kids here, there, here, there, here, there. Uh, I have to be a good dad. I have to do this for my, I have to do all these things, right? Or we go to uh, maybe our, our life when we ask a student especially, but I'm finding actually that even in uh, groups of adults and things, when we're talking about, well, how's your relationship with Jesus or how's this or that, most of the time that answer is followed up by an ought to. Well, I ought to be reading my Bible more. Well, I ought to be doing such and such more. And so we begin living our lives in obligation to have to's and ought to's instead of want to's because I get to. I get to be a good spouse to my wife. I get to take her on date night. I get to spend time with her. I get to be responsible with my finances and say no to things that are not going to be good tomorrow. I get to be responsible to be entrusted with all the resources that God has given me to be able to make good decisions. I get to go to work tomorrow. I get to wake up and receive a paycheck for the money that I have worked for. And I get to use that money to give it away to other people to help them and to expand the kingdom, and to meet needs of other people. It's not a have-to and an ought-to kind of life. It's living and walking in the freedom that we are free to love one another. We are not bound to sin. We are not bound to treat each other like garbage. We are not bound to fly off the handle in anger and rage every time something doesn't go our way. We are no longer bound to this, but we can live in freedom, and we get to. It's not because we have to. It's not because we ought to. It's because we get to, and we have the freedom to do it. Commitment number three, we acknowledge that there is a great, there's a greater design in mind than mine. There is a greater design. We step into a reality that God intended for us. We were on a road that was let, that leads toward destruction. It says there, there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right to the world. There's a way that seems right to the system of this world that's broken and battered and messed up and leads to nowhere good. It leads to destruction. But there is also a way that God allows us to step into the freedom to do things His way and to follow His desires and to follow His will and to follow His direction. And so we get to live acknowledging, over and over and over again that there is a greater design in mind than just mine, than just what I want, than just what I desire, and we get to follow the purposes and the plans of God. There may be no greater game day story aside from Jesus Christ himself conquering death, hell, and the grave when he died on a cross and he rose three days later. 
than the story of David and Goliath. It's the game day story that we want to look at as we journey through this game day message, first, second, third, and fourth quarter. And so I want to introduce the life of David. Many in this room have heard the story of David and Goliath. Even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard of Goliath. You've heard of David, and it, it was a young man who was the underdog and no one, would ever, uh, no one would ever bring the odds to his side of winning against a great giant warrior, but yet he did it through God's strength and through God's power because he was fighting for something bigger than himself. He was in a battle that he knew there was a design in mind greater than his own. And he defeated Goliath on that day. So we want to look at the life of David here as it relates to the story of David and Goliath. And we pick it up right here in 1 Samuel. And it says this, David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. So there's an army off and the army of, the, of David's people. So his brothers went there and they're all off and they're staying with Saul on the battlefield. But David, he went back and forth. So back and forth from where he was, he was in his father's house. He stayed back at home to help his father, and he took care of his father's sheep. He was a shepherd. And so it says that he went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, so that he could help them with the sheep in Bethlehem. Then for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion, this is talking about Goliath, he strutted in front of the Israelite army and he was, set, he was taunting them. Who will come against me, you, you measly little Philistines? There is no one that can come against me. There is no one that can overtake me. I am the champion. I am the one. And every morning he would come out and he would scream it over and over and over again. And every single day, no one would come to challenge him. But David was the one who went back and forth, back and forth. And what I don't see in David's life was a have to, ought to kind of attitude because it says that one day his father came to him and he said, I want you to go and I want you to take food. I want you to take the basket of food to your brothers on the battlefield. And you know what David said? Dad, do I have to? Nope. Oh, I just was there the other day. I have to do this again. It's the same old grind every single day. I got to keep doing this. I keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I got to do this over and over and over again. Is there anybody besides me that kind of gets into that little routine in life? Every once in a while, you are liars. Like three of you raised your hand. I know we all do it. Okay. We get into this, right? We get into this routine back and forth, back and forth, daily grind over and over. I got to keep doing this. I got to keep things going. I got to handle my business. I got to do this, right? And so we get into this mode. But what David said to his father was, okay, I'll go. And he went. David, I want you to go take food to your brothers. And it says he went, okay? So he went there and he went not with the mindset of, I got to do this again, and I got to deliver this food. No, he went there, and he starts asking questions. What's going on? I noticed that there's, there's a giant down there, and he keeps talking to you guys every day and challenging you to come against him, but nobody ever does it. What's happening? And so one of his older brothers overhears this, and we pick this up here. His brothers overhears him asking. It says, when his older brother heard him talking to the men. He was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? What about those few little sheep you were supposed to be taking care of? Anybody ever feel like what you do on a daily basis in the grind, using your freedom to just do the next right thing and the next right thing and the next right thing and the next best decision, and you remain faithful to your kids and you remain faithful to your spouse, you remain faithful to God, you remain faithful to take care of what you know to take care of, but it just seems to be unnoticed and it just seems to be demanding 
diminished. And you ever feel like that? Like, I'm just, what am I really doing here? Doesn't anybody care? Doesn't anybody notice? Doesn't anybody see this? Is it really all worth it? Should I really even be doing this? And we, we get into that feeling, and that's the kind of tension that was create, created right here in this conversation. I mean, his brother is putting him down. I mean, David is the one who had to keep going back and forth and back and forth. He didn't get any credit for being a part of the mighty army that was going to, to take care of our people and to protect us and all of that. He was the one taking care of the sheep and he was, he was held back at home and he was going back and forth. And so he didn't get any credit for that. And his brothers are diminishing this. Like, don't you have like a few little sheep over there to take care of for dad? What are you even doing here anyway? And so David finally says like, what have I done now? How many times has that statement been heard in the hallways of our homes? What did I do now? Or under the breath of a passive aggressive husband. What have I done now? Fine. Pick up my socks. That's my thing. I leave socks everywhere. What have I done now? But he knew that there was something greater to come. He knew that there was something more at play than what he had going on in his own mind. And so David said, Saul, let me tell you something. I've heard what's happening and I've heard of the oppression that this giant has been bringing against us. I will go fight him. I will go challenge him because of this right here. He says, because he defies the armies, not of Saul, not of my brothers who are mistreating me. He's defying the army of the living God. He took up offense for God, and that's why we find later in the New Testament where he as, is spoke about as the man who was after God's own heart because he was with God and God was with him. And he said, I will fight on behalf of my God and he will go with me. And even though Saul told him, don't do it, you'll never win. He'll defeat you. He said, I'm going to go fight him. And he did. And he took him down and he took Goliath's own sword and he cut the head off of Goliath and picked it up and brought it back for everyone to see. And this brings us to the second quarter. Because what God knew that David would need is the same thing that all of us need. At that moment of one of the greatest achievements and successes in his life, he knew that that would immediately cause him to experience great fame in the eyes of some and great discontentment in the eyes of others. Because some would say, oh, that was just a, it was a lucky shot, David. Who are you? Go back and take care of the sheep. There would be one group that would hate him and despise him and be jealous of him. There would be another group who would be praising, and praising him, but only for what he did, not because of who he was. And so he's, God knew, I need to send David someone into his life that can be his friend to fight with him and for him. And so we pick up second quarter with friends. And we know that friends are important because relationships can make us or break us. Relationships can determine ultimately the quality and the direction of our life. And we can't live the right life with the wrong people. We can't continue to follow God's plan and God's leading for our life if we're not surrounded by the right people. It will not work. It will fail every single time. And so God, in his infinite wisdom and his loving care and concern for David, came in that moment of his greatest achievement and greatest success 
which he knew would propel David into a different place in life, he said, you're going to need somebody to be with you. You're going to need somebody to go with you. And so we make these commitments here as friends that we are going to become the kind of friends that we want to have. We will become the kind of friends that friend that we would like to have. And so many of us wander around in life thinking, I'm all alone. I'm connected to so many people. I know what everybody had for breakfast because I saw it on Facebook this morning. And I know that they have a great vacation and a great little perfect life. And, and I know what I put out for myself. And it makes me look a certain way and all of that, right? But is there anybody in our lives that actually know us and know us well? And the best way to find a friend is to be a friend. And so we can sit back and we can whine about nobody coming to us and nobody cares about me and poor old me. Or we can own our lives and take the freedom that we have and we can go and be a friend to somebody else. We can go and be a friend to someone else because we are going to have an unwavering commitment to be the kind of friend that we want to have. Our second commitment is that we're going to invest the most into the relationships that matter most. And oftentimes we waste the time that we've been giving chasing popularity and hoping that people will like us that we don't even know. In fact, isn't that often why we go buy really nice, big, expensive cars, which there's nothing wrong with that at all, by the way. I'm not saying that in itself, right? But sometimes we try to buy bigger and do better and dress a certain way so that we can impress people that we don't even know. So people will think a certain thing about us and they don't ever even know us. They just have an idea of us on the outside. Aren't we sometimes motivated and driven by that? But what if we chose to invest our time not into what we look like on the outside and not into all of these relationships of people who probably don't even care about us all that much, and we chose to invest the most amount of time into our relationship with our spouses and with our kids and with those who really know us and still love us anyway? What if we chose to invest the most into the relationships that matter most And last, we want to love others the way that Jesus loved us. And this is what, this is what uh, happened in the life of David. Because when he came back, Saul said, I want to see David and I want to talk to him about what family he's from. And so while he's talking to him, he meets uh, Saul's son. and says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. God knew that he was going to need a friend. God knew that he was going to need a brother. God knew that he was going to need somebody to fight with him in this battle, in this good life, pursuing the plan that God had. And he was such a good friend that he even stood up to his father, the king, on David's behalf. God knew what he needed, and it's the same thing that we all need. We all need a friend. We all need people in our lives. We all need to surround ourselves with the right people. As we move into the third quarter, we want to look at the idea of focus. And focus is the idea that everything begins within. Everything in life begins within because the inside me that no one sees leads to the outside me that everyone sees. It will ultimately determine what happens on the inside. Whatever is happening, uh, I'm sorry, what's on the inside will ultimately determine what's on the outside. 
And so we all can know stories, and maybe this is your story, but we certainly know people that all of a sudden everything looks really, really good. Everything looks great on the outside. Everything is represented well, and what we know of them is all good. And yet one day, Facebook, so-and-so and I have decided to divorce. So-and-so is leaving for rehab treatment. The news breaks, and it seems like it all just comes at once, but it's never that. It never just happens in a day. It never just happens all at once. It's the result of something internal going on that has been pushed away, that's been ignored, that's been medicated. Several years ago, for me, I had a a pinched nerve in my back, and it was causing pain all the way down my leg. And uh, I started taking some ibuprofen for that, and I was up to like 10 ibuprofen every single day just to kind of mask the pain. And I went like that for as long as I could until I finally went to the doctor and I got it taken care of. And once I went to the doctor, it took several months of every week treatment to get over that. But what we often do in life is we look at pain And we look at struggle and we look at resistance and we want to ignore it or we want to medicate it. We want to make ourselves feel better by doing a little bit more shopping, by being a little bit more successful and making a little bit more money, or maybe taking a few extra drinks in the evening, or maybe a little high here or there. And we go to these things because we try to ignore and try to escape and try to medicate what's really happening, what's really happening. But eventually... Whatever is happening on the inside can only be masked and ignored for so long until it comes out on the outside. It's the inside, me and you, that will ultimately determine the outside that everyone sees. So we make this commitment in the good life as we focus on the inside me that we will embrace pain and resistance. That pain that I had in my leg was pointing to something bigger than the pain in my leg. Pain was not the problem. Pain was what let me know there was something that needed to be fixed. Pain was not the uh, thing that was not good. Pain was actually the good thing that God gave me so that I would know what to do with something that was gone wrong in my back. Pain was actually the gift that God gave me. Resistance is actually what builds muscle. Resistance is what builds strength and what builds endurance. And that's why Paul could say, I counted all joy when all things, all kinds of things come my way. I can consider it pure joy because I know that the testing of my faith brings strength and it brings endurance and I can continue to keep going. And I'm stronger this time than I was the last time. And so we don't just try to escape the pain. We don't just ignore it. We don't go to the next addiction. We don't go to the next relationship. We don't go to the next achievement. We go right through and we look pain in the face and say, thank you, I'm going to deal with this. And we look resistance in the face and say, I'm going to go through this and I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to medicate it. I'm not going to sedate it. I'm not going to push it to the side. I'm going to go through because we're going to focus on the inside me that no one sees because it will determine the outside me that everyone sees. Commitment number two that we make in this focus kind of good life. We Live like we know that who we are is greater than what we accomplish. Several years in a row, 
we hosted the Xenia High School Baccalaureate service, and that was my message every single year. What, who you are is so much greater than what you accomplish. And we often think that it's the next goal to achieve. It's the next college that we're going to get into. It's the next raise we're going to get. It's the next house we're going to buy. It's the next thing. It's the next thing and the next thing. All the meanwhile, we ignore and we neglect the type of people that we are, and we'll end up in places where we can't stay because our character won't keep us there because our integrity is not in line, because our, the way that we communicate with other people, the way that we treat one another, our ability to get along with one another, our ability to go out of our way for someone else and give up our desires for theirs, our ability to be the kind of people that God is molding us and shaping us into that can actually handle then the achievements or the good things that he wants to give us, the responsibility that he wants to give us, those good things in life. And so we know that who we are is so much more important than simply what we accomplish. It's so much more important than the trophy on the shelf. It's so much more important than the dollar amount in the bank account. Because we can have, we've seen, we see this every time somebody wins the lottery, they're broke two years later. Because it wasn't the money that was the solution. It wasn't the outside thing that was the solution. It's who are you? And I have to look in the mirror and say, Nate, who are you? you? Is it about the outside? Am I ignoring things that are going on in the inside that I need to take care of? Is there somebody that I need to go and talk to? Is there a Jonathan type of person that I need in my life that I need to go and communicate with? Is there a counselor that I need to go see and work through some stuff to deal with what's going on on the inside of me? Who we are and building up the healthy us on the inside is so much more important than who we are on the outside. And the third one, we pursue Jesus, who is the source of everything that we need in life. And it is so easy to fall back in the arms of the security of our bank account, the security of a relationship with somebody else, the security of being okay with a good image in the eyes of other people, and look to those things to be the source of our life. But if it can be taken away, it shouldn't be our source. If it can be taken away in a moment, that relationship can be gone just like that. That money in the bank, that job, that can be gone just like that. If it can be taken away, then it's not worthy to be the source of our life. But Jesus can never be taken away. And so we pursue him and we trust in him for the complete source of everything that we need. We see this in the story of David, not in David himself, but in the life of Saul in the midst of what happened here. And it says... When the victorious Israelite army was returning at home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. It's that anger, that's the pain, that's the resistance. It was trying to tell him something. But he just kept going with it. What's this? He said they credit David with ten thousands and me only with thousands. Next, they'll be making him king. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing his harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand and suddenly he hurled it at David. Has anybody ever experienced that? There's a little bit of something going on in the inside, a little bit of something. Honestly, this was me yesterday. 
I was really tense about this service for some reason. There were a lot of things that weren't quite clicking and ready to go, and we had a busy, full weekend, and I was just on edge. And something was going on on the inside of me all day, and it just kind of caused me sometimes to just like, I mean, I didn't throw any spears, but I was just tense, you know, and I was just kind of short and didn't know what to do with what was going on. And I kept like preaching my own sermon in my head right here. Like, let's examine what's going on here. No, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Like God always comes through. He always gives you the word. Like just to be totally honest with you, okay? I do this teaching in public schools, so there's no scripture attached, right? So all of the scripture that was talked about today and will be talked about in the story of David, all of that happened at 6 a.m. this morning. Yeah. That's how I felt all day yesterday. Oh, God, give me something here. And so I started reading the story of David, and I see all of these elements in the life life of David. And it's like, oh, of course God's going to come through again. He's going to give words again, because it's not about Nate. It's about all of us in this room hearing something that will inspire us and challenge us to move toward Christ in our life. And Jesus cares a whole lot more about that than I do, honestly. Right? It's focus. It's He's the source. But for Saul, he ignored what was happening on the inside, and it says that he burned with jealousy against David. It started to burn within him, and the very next day, that jealousy welled up in him so much that he threw a spear at David, intending to kill him, not once, but twice, and David escaped twice. Let's not let that be us, that all of a sudden we just hurl something. All of a sudden, the news hits Facebook. All of a sudden, everybody finds out. All of a sudden, the secret's no longer a secret. Let's take care of it now. Let's take care of the inside us now. Let's focus because everything in life, everything in life begins within. But David, David knew that God had a greater plan. He had a bigger plan. And that leads us to quarter number four, into our future. And the future is the door of possibility because with God, truly, it's been said, it's been put on coffee mugs and bumper stickers, but it's true. With God, all things are possible. And there is a door of possibility that is available to us in spite of what we see in front of us. And it's the door of possibility because what is in our life is not all there is. Because what is in our life is not all there is. What we see in front of us, the challenge we see in front of us, the conflict, the negative circumstance, the mountain that we're facing, the thing that we know we need to overcome, but we're not sure how, the the news that we receive that we don't know how to deal with, with God, all things are possible. And what is, is not all there is, because with God, there's always more to the story. With God, there's always strength available to us that we didn't know that we could ever experience. With God, there's always peace that can go beyond whatever understanding that we can come up with in our own mind. And so we make these commitments as we step into the future that God has for us, that we will give and leverage what we have for the sake of others. We will give what we have. We will give and we will invest what we have for the sake of somebody else. I'm so thankful that this church as a community does that. We give of ourselves as a church And we leverage what we have. We leverage our facilities. We were able to feed the football team again this week. This is like the fourth time this season. It's pretty cool. They keep calling us because they know we'll say yes. 
But all these football players that I see around town now who have never stepped foot in here on a Sunday morning call out to me at Walmart and walk in down the street as I'm walking into Coffee Hub like I do every day of the week. Pastor Nate, Pastor Nate. Like they're calling me pastor. I'm their pastor and they don't even come to church here because we feed them meals. They know they have somebody because we as a church have chosen to give and leverage what we have for the sake of our community. And as individuals, if we take all that God has given us, the resources, the gifts, abilities, talents that he has given us for the sake of others, we can live the good life. Commitment number two, we live with purpose for a purpose, knowing that we serve a greater cause than our own, knowing that we're building the kingdom, knowing that God wants to use us, knowing that he's given us influence, knowing that he's called us his ambassadors or his highest ranking officials sent to represent him to the world. We are on mission. We live with purpose to love other people as Jesus has loved them. And last, we believe that God is good and his ways are best. And when we step into the future knowing that God is good and his ways are best, we know that we can see success just like David did. And at the end of the story, he says this, David, next verse, David continued, to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He was doing things God's way. The Lord was with him, and so he experienced success. And he knew he would, because before the battle ever happened, what he told Saul when Saul resisted against him and said, David, you'll never be able to come overcome Goliath. I've got my best men here, and they won't even stand up to Goliath. It will never work. This is what he told Saul even before the battle he said, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. And David would have said in response, of course he's with me. You don't need to ask for the Lord to be with me. I already know he's with me. And that's how I know that I will win. That's how I know that I will succeed. That's how I know that I will experience the good life. And this morning for you and I, in this four-quarter idea that we laid out today in the area of freedom, friends, focus, and future, we can experience the good life. Every game has a post-game show. And the post-game show highlights the key moments in the game. And so I have a couple of questions that I want us to contemplate here in this post-game time. Was there a key moment in the message that God was speaking to you? And you knew that as soon as the words from God came out of my mouth, as soon as you read the words on the screen that God wanted you to see, something jumped in your heart and you knew that God wanted to challenge you, to push you, to heal you in a certain area of life. When it comes to freedom, the question to contemplate is who or what are we giving power to? Who or what are we giving power to? Are we giving power to other people to dictate what we do, what we think, believe, or how we act? Are we giving power to our own emotions and we're constantly operating out of how we feel instead of what is true? Who or what are we giving power to in our lives in the area of freedom? Friends, who's fighting with you? In the friends area, who is it that's fighting with you? If you received right now the worst news of your life, who would you call? I know we have hundreds we have thousands of friends that follow us, but is there anybody who really knows us and still loves us? Who's fighting with you? 
Who is that person that you can go to and say, you know what, God's really dealing with me in this area. I've got this going on on the inside me and no one knows about it, but I need to tell somebody. Who's fighting with you? In the area of focus, what am I relying on for the source of my strength? What am I centering my life around? Has my life become all about the security that is my bank account? Has it become the security that is my reputation and what other people see of me? Has my source become my relationship with somebody else? And as soon as those things start to shift or falter, everything goes chaotic. That's one sure sign that we're relying on something that can crumble for our source. Am I relying on something else other than Christ to be the source of my life? And future, what is the next step this morning that God is challenging us to take? What is the next step that God is pushing us to take? What is the uncomfortable, risky step in our faith walk that he's wanting us to take? What is the thing that's going to possibly hurt? What is the conversation that we might need to have with somebody else? What is the counseling appointment that we might need to schedule? What is the clearing my schedule so that I can attend a Bible, can attend a Bible study or start a small group with somebody? Or what is the, the alarm clock setting that I need to have to set a little bit early enough time that I can actually devote some time and in, to invest in my relationship with Jesus in the morning before my day gets started? I, I don't know. I can't tell you what your next step is. It's not the same for everybody. But what I can say that is if you're alive in this room and you're breathing, there's a next step. Unless you're perfect. There's always somewhere that God is pushing us and guiding us and leading us to go. So what is the next step? So we're going to close out the service in just a moment. And in a minute, we're going to receive offering and we're going to go out with a wild and crazy fun song and all that like we always do at TakeOver. But what I want to do is just give you 30 to 60 seconds here of just quiet right where you are. And I want you to contemplate those questions. Who or what has power in my life? Who's fighting with me? What am I relying on for my source? And what's my next step? And just ask God to speak to you, to lay something on your heart. Take a few moments and have that time for God to speak.
we would live like every day is game day and that we would truly walk in the good life that you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen.